Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show Two-Man Advantage Edition, Pierre Lebrun. How are you doing, my friend? How, how's your morning? This is inauguration day here in the United States, in case you didn't know. You might want to keep this tape, you know, for posterity as, as we go down. You know, in 10 years, when you and I are still doing uh, Two-Man Advantage, we'll, maybe we'll look back on this day and it'll be, uh, it, it'll be a memorable one. But how are you doing? Yes, uh, someone on Twitter saying, was it, was it Trump who said today that, uh, thank you for four incredible years? Uh, I mean, they were certainly unforgettable, sort of like the time I had shingles, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I digress. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yes, uh, it, it, there's lots can be said about, uh, you know, that, that, uh, sayonara, but it uh, didn't come soon enough. And, and here's the, the better days ahead. And we got so much to talk about today. We're going to be joined by Joe Pavelski of the Dallas Stars. Uh, exciting week for the Dallas Stars as they get, knock on wood, get to play their first game of the season mm-hmm. after a training camp COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, let, let's start. With the news of the day, Pierre, I, I really, I'm really fascinated to chat about your uh, piece on um, talking to Mike Babcock. But um, you actually have some news that I saw on social media just as we were getting ready to tape this, and we know that the Carolina Hurricanes and Nashville Predators had a game on Tuesday evening postponed. They played the night before, uh, big win for Carolina in that game, and then before they could do the back half of the back-to-back that game was postponed and now there are five players who were named by the NHL on their COVID-19 protocol list and it looks like it's going to be a little while before Carolina gets back into action and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah as we tape this at 10 a.m. Eastern uh, on Wednesday the league still hasn't announced it but I suspect by the time our podcast is up that it w- that it will be but yeah the all indications are that uh, Carolina's next two games against Florida will be postponed um, with the Hurricanes dealing with their COVID situation. Um, and so for the Panthers, it's uh, there's sort of the, you know, the drive-by, uh, the drive-by victims here early on this this year with, with you know, their, the Dallas uh, COVID situation affected Florida, right? And, uh, yes. and now Carolina. So uh, listen, unfortunately, more of this to come. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be captain negative, but as we've all also seen in the NBA with all the postponements, it, it's it's just not a guarantee that we're going to get through this season. 
Yeah. And I sure hope so. And a lot of smart people are, are working on this. Um, you know, there is some flexibility in the schedule for makeup games. That was the point of the way they did it. But, uh, you know, uh, you kind of hold your breath as far as, you know, how, ma- how many of these we're going to get. Well, it, it's a, I mean, it's a great point because, you know, I was just, uh, looking at the Carolina schedule. They were, as you point out, supposed to play on Thursday evening, the first of a six-game homestand. That would have been two games against Florida, two against Tampa, and two against Dallas. Um, you know, and again, you, you hope that, you know, that the by following the protocols and by doing what they're doing, that the NHL is, is nipping this in the bud and that, that we're not into a long delay. But, you know, this is a Dallas team that will play their first game, oh, let's call it a week and a half after the start of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. It, it, it And it's not just what happens to the Carolina Hurricanes or the Dallas Stars. It, it's, it's the ripple effect of how you then um, move all the building blocks around to try and ensure that everyone plays 56 games in a time that, um, you know, that allows the regular season to unfold and then you begin your playoffs and, and get things done in, in, in the in the manner that the league and the NHLPA hope they can. And I don't think we're near it yet, but it does make you wonder how many of these moments before the NHL and the NHLP have to, to, to take stock and say, you know what, we need to, we're going to have to pivot and we're going to have to be nimble and, and it's not going to work out the way we planned. I, and I don't know that right. there's an answer to that yet. Yeah, and hopefully we don't get to that point. But is but is there a point at some point where you pause the entire season and, and sort of everyone take a deep breath? Um, again, I hope we don't get to that. But uh, it's you know it's starting now, so now we've got a couple, and you know I think the, I think there is clearly a buy-in from most players. It's just that it's this is a you know a disease that's spreading quite easily, and the, the league is not playing in a bubble. I mean, it's playing under strict protocols, but essentially the players basically just are going back and forth between either the the hotel and the road to the rink or to, you know, between home and the rink. But even between those tight protocols, you've got family members, right? I mean, you got, you know, people cleaning your hotel room. Who knows? I mean, there's a million different ways the virus can, can spread. Well, and we, I mean, we're talking, you know, you watch the news every night and this issue of variants, (laughs) variants to the COVID-19 virus, uh, much more easily spread. Now, the good news seems to be that it is not as as deadly and that the vaccines that are now being distributed slowly but surely on both sides of the border are, are effective. But it does mean that the virus can spread more quickly than even before. And so you're right. These are, this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. And I'm going to be fascinated. You know, I I think about our conversation with Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner a week ago. And listen, the NHL has been, is very clear. And I hope that they remain transparent. And I hope that they are they're doing their due diligence that these are, that this is not recklessness and there's no indication that, that any of this is, but mm-hmm. it is important for teams to be so vigilant in maintaining the protocols. And, and that's the only way, you know, that there's a possibility that this happens. So, we'll, we'll and, and in some ways, you know, in some ways the Carolina situation is a bit more alarming than the Dallas one, because while the stars was clearly an outbreak, uh, pretty uh, of, of significance, right? It, it happened 
you know, in camp where you kind of expected that people coming in from different parts of the world and arriving in Dallas or arriving at any camp that the risk was higher during camp, right? Yes. Um, then when you started the season and the protocols were tightened. So now, you know, the Carolina situation has happened with the team clearly following protocols, but it still happened. So that's that's why you're kind of holding your breath a bit. That is truth. Now, I, so he, he, I, I wanted to circle back very quickly to, um, as it was a story that made a lot of news yesterday afternoon, a story by you, uh, uh, the first uh, conversation with former Leaf and former Detroit Red Wing head coach Mike Babcock, as he prepares to dip his toe into the broadcasting world, he's going to do some games for uh, NBC Sports Network and do, uh, I would say, do games. He's going to provide some analysis on their panel. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. to see how that works out. But, you know, there's a lot of – that's a long time for a coach with Mike Babcock's profile and uh, a coach who left in the manner that he did being dismissed by Toronto early in the 2019-2020 season. It seems like – like 10 years ago that that actually happened. But um, I, I could just walk us through how it happened and maybe what was your impression in talking with Mike Babcock about some of the issues that he's going to have to confront if he wants to return to the game. It's just, I think that's part of the reality of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that his first appearance on NBC Sunday is, is part of the reason for the timing finally, because I think he felt it was important to, you know, to, to finally speak and to clear the air, uh, which I think he, he's right about. Um, but as far as why it, it took this long, I mean, I, you know, when he got fired and, you know, when you're the coach of the Leafs and you, you used to cover the Leafs, Scotty, the spotlight shines bright. Um, yeah. And that can cut two ways. And I think that, honestly, he didn't say this, but this is my own expression or my own take on it. You know, probably pretty fried at the end of the whole Leaf thing. And, and so he had planned to, take a long, uh, long absence from the spotlight after he left, which he did, but it became even longer than he probably thought because he was waiting for the 2021 season to, to start to probably break his silence. But of course that, that got delayed by the pandemic. Um, so that's really why it took so long. And, and then he did. And obviously, you know, I asked him about Marner, about friends and all the things that, you know, really became huge stories after his firing last year. And, um, and that he got severely criticized for, and uh, you know, he he answered it uh, in a lot of detail. Um, still not to the uh, to the level that a lot of people <laughs> reacting to my story seem to accept, and that's okay. I mean, the, the point of the story, from my perspective, was that uh, you know this guy had not had his say, and and this was his say, and then people can decide after they read it and. Um, it, yeah, and and listen, I I guess the one thing that I, only I would know because I had the conversation with him is that you know I really did feel some sincerity in uh, in the interview. But again, I think he's one of those polarizing figures that that you're you know some people are in and some people are out. Yeah, right? and, yeah, uh, and that was clear from the reaction to the piece. <laughs> Well, look, I'm I'm curious. Uh, I'll give you my two cents, and uh, and I think perspective is is such an important part of this. Listen, Mike Babcock didn't commit a crime. He, you know, like, and there, they, you know, we've seen coaches who were um, dismissed and their behavior called into question, and you know, like, I I think, you know, I think of Bill Peters, for instance, and or I think of. 
um, Jim Montgomery in Dallas. And I think I think it's important to take a step back and say, you know, listen, there were some there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of negative press, a lot of negative things said about Mike Babcock after he was relieved of his duties as the, the leaf coach. And uh, I the Mitch Marner one was interesting and I was fascinated as he walked you through what happened with that. Um, certainly, you know, the the, the fact that Johan Franzen, you know, believes and that his experience with Mike Babcock was was hurtful to him on a number of different levels, very personal on the mental health level, all those kinds of things. Um, but I think it is important to, you know, again, take to we hear from people who we haven't heard from on these kinds of topics. And I just uh, I think it is important, like you say, listen, it's, we're, your job is not to say, well, this to rehabilitate Mike Babcock. But this is Mike Babcock speaking about important issues. They're important because of his profile and because of uh, of who he is and the teams that he coached. And I, I just think I was. We, let me ask you this: Were you surprised at the reaction to it, or or did you expect that there would be, you know, there would there would be some blowback to to a piece like this? No, I, it's pretty much what I thought it would be. And and listen, I'm I'm a big boy, and I've been at this a long time, so. Uh, I knew that once that piece dropped, that uh, it would really be sort of extreme reactions on both ends. I got a number of texts from uh, from people in the hockey world and from other media, you know, saying, you know, great piece, you know, so on and so on. And then, of course, there's the other side of the reaction, which, again, I, I'm – that's okay. But, you know, I believe in democracy. I think people have a right to have their yes. say. I'm not yeah. one of those people that everyone has to agree with me. And, <laughs> and, and it's why I have no problem with the reaction either way. You know, I was just doing my job. I thought it was illuminating, my friend. And you know that I will defend you to the end. So, it, you know, if, if somebody's giving you a hard time, <laughs> I just send me. I don't email. need defending. Yeah. I don't need defending. <laughs> uh, all right. So what else? Let's, uh, what are we going to talk about? What else is on your, there's so much, you know, it feels like, honestly, in some ways, it feels like the season's been going for, you know, like two and a half months. I, I feel like there's been a lot of things that have happened. Some of it surprising, maybe some of it not. I'm going to ask you. I'm well, my notes. Well, go well, ahead. You go ahead. Just well, jump in I, here. I tell you, I got to make one observation, and, and I'm curious to see what it's like for you. But I, I got to say, when you're based, you know, I'm based in Toronto. I uh, I do all the Habs TSN regional games from the TSN studio, so my life is 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 inundated with Habs and Leafs and really all seven Canadian teams. And, and this year, with this division setup. I'm trying so hard to make sure that, you know, when the abs are playing, I want to catch the yes. Vegas, all the teams that I think I have a chance to win. And I'm, you know, New Jersey, much hockey. <laughs> well, Hey, I bought those doubles <laughs> and it, but it's incredible what's happening. And you see with other Canadian media, like this Canadian, this Canadian North division is just overtaking all the oxygen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, part of it is, is obviously the importance of the game in Canada, but also that there's, more media in Canada. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the A gig on this side of the border. And, and so I hadn't even thought, I mean, it should have been obvious before the season started, but it really, you just look at Twitter and everything else. I mean, there's all Canadian matchups every night in the NHL and they just take over the attention. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's fascinating to live through. Well, it, it, so I want to ask you, it was, it's interesting and I totally agree with you. And, 
you know, being here in Atlanta, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surfing every night. Like I'm, I watched that with great interest, that uh, Pittsburgh Washington game last night. And I'll tell you, you know, it's been fascinating now. And again, because of the way the schedule is now, you know, I watched them play on Sunday. You know, again, the Penguins just look, they, there's, it's so painful in, at times to watch them because they just seem not to be in sync and, you know, Tristan Jari, I don't know, and Casey DeSmith, and, you know, like, what's going on there? And yet, twice in a row, they, in extra time, they come up with huge wins over Washington. So, I, and I'm fascinated by, but you're right, I do a fair amount of radio in Canada, and I did this hit with the Vancouver station last night, and you're right, like, that's... If you're in Canada right now, you are consumed by that North Division. And uh, I want to circle back to it because I think that I think there's some interesting things coming up. But they asked a question, and I'm curious to get your take on it. What do you think is going to happen when when the, the group uh, who decide on NHL awards and the PHWA, which you and I are both part of, and I'm a former president, uh, we do... You are a former president. I am a former president. Uh, just a, it's like name dropping, right? I just dropped that into the conversation. But um, it's going. I found it, it It was difficult back in 2012-13 when we came out of the lockout and played 48 games and the teams only played within their conferences. And I thought mm-hmm. it was difficult in that circumstance as a, as a voter on Hart, Nora, Selkie, Calder, Lady Bing. Not so hard on the Lady Bing. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> with all due respect to lady Bing winners everywhere, but I think this is going to be, it's going to be a real challenge. And I think, it, I think it's going to be fascinating because that North division is a bear. The East division is a complete bear. The other two divisions are, are, are intriguing in their own way, but it is going to be very difficult to compare and contrast the play of a guy like, let's call it. Shea Theodore or Tory Krug in the West Division with the Golden Knights and the Blues, respectively, compared to a guy like Shea Weber uh, in Montreal in the North Division or a guy like John Carlson in Washington in the East. I, I, like, what do you mm-hmm. what do you think that's going to be like? You know, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's a great point about the voting and and, and you know, especially when it comes to beat writers. Um, you know, we're, we're a bit lucky. We get to bounce around as national guys in terms of our focus. But when you're a beat writer, you know, you really do have to have a narrow focus in terms of your team. And and at least during a normal season, you get to see your team play all the teams, exactly. which helps when it yes. gets down the voting. But now, of course, it'll be just within the division. And, you know, I think that's why you, you have to rely on your contacts and your sources at that point that, um, you know, you know, I, when I vote, I reach out to all kinds of coaches, and assistant coaches, and uh, pro scouts, all the people that are watching games in the arena every night and, and coaching against other teams. I really look for a lot of feedback. I know you do too. Uh, and juxtapose that against all the statistical information that I'm looking at um, because it, it's interesting to hear some of those points of views. Um, and so I think that'll be even more paramount this year, clearly. Um, and, and it, it, it'll still be imperfect because at the end of the day, I'm sure the argument will be made depending on who wins that that player was able to pad his stats because he played against the same teams. Who knows what the arguments are going to be? It is what it is. Yes. I, I think it, yeah, it's going to, it is going to be fascinating. 
So I want to go back to the North Division. So I'm curious what you make of, you know, here we are. We're into just starting our second week of the NHL schedule. And I'm fascinated. Um, in fact, Edmonton is in Toronto as we, you and I speak. Uh, they've got a couple of games against the Leafs and then a couple of games against the Jets. And I don't know whether it's overstating it or not, but uh, this is it's it's going to be crunch time pretty early for this Oiler team, I think they've got some, you know, issues in goal. I mean, Mike Smith on LTIR and they've had trouble getting goaltending depth in because of the waiver process and the quarantine. Like it's, and it's in that Edmonton team, there've been lots of moments where you're like, geez, I, I, I don't, you know, they just don't look very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was working the Oilers Habs game in studio Monday night where the Habs completed the two game sweep. And, yes. um, it's I'm not I'm a little concerned about the body language of Connor McDavid early this early this season. Um, you know I think he looks frustrated. Um, you know and and if you s- sort of sit back and look at the big picture and the importance of let's just say it for what it is keeping this guy happy <laughs> about the franchise's ability to contend, right? Yes. Um, I think that'll. I mean, it's a little early, so they pull off a couple wins here. Oh yeah, you know, we'll laugh at ourselves for even bringing this up. But if this is a disappointing season, there, I mean, that's going to take hold. You know, people are going to wonder about that. Um, again, just about where they are now. I think the Ken Holland's defense, the GM of the Oilers, uh, it's not like he didn't try to address the goaltending. Number one, I mean. I think at one point the Oilers thought they were getting Jacob Markstrom or were, were at least front runners, right? And then their rivals from Calgary swooped in. Um, and he had a number of other conversations. Um, number two, he, and I was talking to another coach about this this week, you cannot underestimate the loss of Oscar Kleckbaum Oscar on the back end. Like, right. He is such a minutes muncher and a matchup guy and does it all. and it, it, They just can't replace him is the bottom line. And, uh, you know, Ethan Bear was made a healthy scratch the other night and he uh, such a terrific year last year, remember, and a top yes. four guy. And so you can't have him coming out of the gate struggling and while not being able to replace the other guy who's gone all year. So they've got defensive issues for sure. Now the power play last year was number one, right? I mean, yep. the Oilers just feasted off their man advantage. Well, they went, uh, I think over 10 against the Habs in that two game set. You know, so you can't have that not be as good this year. I mean, I'm not saying they got to be first, but I mean, I mean, I think they got to be top five in order to make the playoffs because that's just such an important weapon for them. And I think it will come around. Dave Tippett is the special teams king, right? Everywhere he goes, so I think they'll figure that out. But uh, yeah, they're they're one of the early disappointments here in the Canadian division. Yeah, it uh, it is fascinating. And but here's and here's your I I remember being at uh, All Star in hmm, might have been San Jose two years ago, and even then the you know the story was oh poor Connor McDavid, you know the Oilers aren't very good or you know are, are we wasting this enormous talent in this you know in this mm. team that's not getting any better and it's like the Jack Eichel narrative yeah one's east one's west right it's, right it's, exactly yeah. but I think to your now, point the, now the Oilers won the division last year which it seems like a long time ago <laughs> yeah. because of the the pause and the pandemic and the fact that they got upset in the first round by Chicago but yeah we should point that out yeah no absolutely but I I guess go back to your point if if the narrative 
at least with Connor McDavid in a normal schedule, and as you point, you know, eighty-two games, you're playing all the teams. You know, maybe, you know, maybe when he shows up in you know some of the American markets, it's it, you know the narrative is a little bit different, or or the questions are different. But <laughs> if the Oilers continue to struggle. That story is going nowhere in that Canadian division, right? Like, he, that's and, and be- I'm not, and I don't want, I want to be careful. I'm not trying to make headlines here, and I'm not saying this will ever head down this this route. But I will observe, uh, just globally speaking, that it feels like younger players of today are a little more comfortable rocking the boat than <laughs> than we're used to in hockey. Like, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois has asked for a trade out of Columbus. Um, you know, the Patrick Liney situation in Winnipeg. Um, you know, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. Remember the Bob McKenzie tweets regarding Jack Eichel in the offseason, um, which ended up being, it looks like he's, you know, essentially, to paraphrase, looks like everything is fine now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. So so there's, you know, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, if, if the Oilers were to miss the playoffs, and again, it's so early. They, oh, they yeah, might end yeah. up win- winning the darn division for all we know. But for sure. if they did miss the playoffs, I mean, people are going to ask him that question. Yeah. Are you, are you happy? There's no question. Yeah. Well, and, and once again, it's always nice to work with a pro like you. I mean, unscripted, you provide the perfect segue. Um, you know, sort of, again, early. Yes, it is early. But I, I was, I've been watching the, the, you know, the first uh, four games of the Columbus Blue Jackets season. And I think lots of people are watching maybe more. You, you were the one. <laughs> oh, I, just kidding! I just, you know I got love for the jackets. Oh, it's not even the jackets. I, I've been so impressed with how the Detroit Red Wings have played, and um, you know, but it's it's been a it's been a rocky start for the Blue Jackets as a as a whole, right? They they've played four mm-hmm. games. Uh, they're I'm just looking at it now, one, two, and one. You know, not a great start. Offense has been pretty difficult. They've only got eight goals in four games, so it's been a struggle. And of course, as you mentioned, Pierre Luc Dubois, who signs a two year extension as an RFA, uh, before training camp, and then immediately, oh, by the way, I, I don't think I'd like to stay here. Um, creating well, a lot, did, but just to be clear, yeah. that wasn't really the sequence of events. Well, I mean, the the I don't want to stay here came before he signed. Well, yeah, so of course. Clear. Well, yes, but it, but the, <laughs> but but and I understand that. But the in terms of the public digestion sure. of it, right? He signs sure, a deal, yeah. and then the, then this then it becomes part of the public discussion, and certainly it's a discussion around that team that no one is denying that yeah you know, he doesn't see his future long-term being in Columbus. And and my and you and I have talked about this, but my sense of, listen, Yarmo Kekalainen's got Pierre-Luc Dubois under contract for two years. He absolutely does not need to do anything that he doesn't want to do until he wants to do it. And that means, in my mind, an age-appropriate player of a high-caliber skill coming back uh, or a package that allows him to, you know, to to add that kind of player to his roster. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't have to do anything. But th- maybe I'm being naive that if your team, you know, I just wonder uh, if you feel that a slow start and, and Dubois has one goal in four games and I'll say has looked only OK in my estimation. Does it change how you view these things, or do you really need to take a step back if you're normal Kekalina and say, "I'm not, I'm not doing anything in the first month of a shortened season. I am really, sure. truly going to be patient." Or do you say, "You know what? I can't have this go on for 56 games." I don't know. So there's a lot to 
there's a lot to get to here with Columbus. Like, so number one, and I've tried to find this out as of others, but we still don't know for sure why Dubois wants out. So we got to be careful. Everyone assumes it's because of his relationship with John Tortorella. And I mean, we all saw what happened, you know, during that play in series against Toronto. Right. Um, but he has not come out and said that. So, and, and no one around him in his camp has suggested that, you know, on or off the record. So we, that's number one. Number two, right. John Tortorella is in his contract expires at the end of this season. Now, I'll be honest, I've assumed, I really did assume most of the offseason that that was one of the situations where that was a no-brainer extension. I mean, here's a coach who seems to get the most out of this roster, right? They they beat the Leafs last summer. They beat the 62-win Lightning the year before. You know, how does that not warrant a contract extension? But yeah. I guess what I would say is don't assume anything. I mean, you know, number one, how much does an extension cost? He's a veteran coach. Coaches' salaries have gone up and, and everyone's hurting right now financially. Number two, I don't know. Like, the what if the Dubois thing is about him? I mean, does Yarmo Kekalun sit back and, and weigh all this? Uh, and what if the Jackets don't have a good year? So there's a lot to weigh into this whole situation uh, with Dubois and Tortorella and everything else. I, I think there's no question that... In, from the teams I've talked to, who a lot of them have checked in. I mean, let, let's just be honest: twenty teams have checked in on Columbus with <laughs> yeah. Dubois. That Yarmo Kekalainen has told everyone, "I'm not in a hurry." In fact, I know that one of his favorite lines to a lot of people is, "You know, I own his rights till 2024." Never mind the two-year extension. You know, he's not UFA for a while. Yeah. But you know, does it become a situation that's untenable? Is always what you got to weigh, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, um, you know, just to give you an example, you may remember when Jonathan Drouin asked for a trade out of Tampa and then over time pulled it back to some degree, right? Remember? Yep. I, I remember it very well. Uh, yes. But then Steve Eisman traded him and it was like, yeah, I know he pulled it back, but uh, I remember what he said the first time. No, I'm just kidding. Steve Eisenman didn't say that. But <laughs> it's 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 hard, you know, after you've asked for a trade. And, and my point is, like, I think what some people are wondering is if, you know, what happened if Torrello wasn't re-signed? Would that be enough for Dubois to rescind his trade demand? Yeah. I, I think it's hard to put it back, put the genie back in the bottle. Is what <laughs> I'm saying. That's what Bob and, Hartley used to say all the time in uh, <laughs> here, when he was a coach here in Atlanta. Oh, he used to say it all the time. It didn't matter where he was. Yep. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, sometimes in the off season, he would say the genie is in the bottle and that meant you couldn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're, and I mean, and, 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 and listen, there's a lot writing on this for Yarmo Kekalinen. I mean, yes, there is. It's one thing for Panarin and Bobrovsky who are, becoming UFA to say we're leaving. That's the right. I mean, that's more of a CBA mechanism thing. I mean, it's, it's, it sucks because you want to keep those guys, especially Panarin, but, but now, and this kind of went under the radar in a way, because I think so much was going on in October in the off season, but you know, listen, Josh Anderson never asked for a trade. Let's be clear, but he also wasn't signing an extension as far as we can tell with Columbus either. Yep. So it feels like he kind of forced Columbus's hand in a, in a trade to Montreal. And now you got a Dubois trade request. And the dangerous thing for this franchise, if you sit back 10,000 feet above, is we can't have this 
be a continual trend, especially when it comes to young players. Josh Anderson is young. Pierre Dubois yep. is young. Oh, Ryan Johansson. Guys. Yeah, Ryan right. Johansson in the past, right? There was a it was mm. before he was dealt to Nashville. So right. So I don't know when or if Yermo Pekalin deals Dubois. I, I I mean I think it's more of a when, but he's just got to be so sure on this one, and 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 has to make sure that the return isn't a futures deal. I think that yes. that it has to be something that helps them compete now. I, I, I'm listen. I have been. I just think that team is so fun to watch. They work so hard. It, some of the greatest drama over the last two years it has involved the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, you're For right sure. that that sweep of Tampa in the spring of '19, that uh, five game series with the Toronto Maple Leafs was so it was epic. It was like honestly, I, I was so sorry it was over. And then even though it only lasted, I, it was five games right against Tampa in the first round, but the quintuple overtime game, like there's been so much to love about watching that team. They work so hard uh, for my money. I don't care if he stays in Columbus or not. John Tortorella can coach my team any single day. I get zero issues with it. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot, you know, Seth Jones is going to win a Norris trophy there. It, I, you know, it's such an interesting team. It is going to be fascinating to see what happens. Cause I, I mean, I hope he does. Cause I think yeah. he, he's one of the best five defensemen in the world for my money. But I will say we're heading into this era where are we going to have enough Norris trophies to go around for some of these young teams? Yes. I mean, Miro, Miro Heiskanen, yeah. right? Kale McCarr, Kale McCarr, Quinn, Quinn Hughes. Hughes. <laughs> Uh, boy, it's oh, Victor Hedman. Uh, Victor Hedman's Vic- guy. <laughs> he may win, and Victor Hedman may say, "I'm going to go Litstrom on you guys and just keep winning it." Maybe uh, you know, we know Roman Yossi won last year, but I think we can all agree Victor Hedman's the best defenseman in the world right now. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of a fascinating time on the Norris uh, level for the next decade. Here, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah. Okay. We're we're gonna get to Joe Pavelski here in a minute, but I, I I thought it was important that we sort of look at the opposite end of opposite end opposite side of this coin because you and I talked about it a week ago, and we and you wrote about it uh, eloquently, of course, about the Keith Yandel situation in Florida, and it looked like you know <laughs> is he gonna be in the lineup? Is can they? Is there a market for him? You know what will happen to the veteran defenseman? And as of course, we know that what you know, whatever was outstanding and whatever issues, they did not prevent Keith Yandel from being in the lineup. The Panthers win their first couple of games. Keith Yandel scores. I think you noted, celebrated like it might have been Game Seven, Stanley Cup Final. <laughs> but you know what? An, and you know he's coming off as as you and I are taping this a two assist performance in uh, an uh, overtime win over Chicago. Um, that's a fascinating. Now I don't know whether that you know. Here's the, the thing: is it's sort of the opposite of Dubois? You're like, okay, good start. Does this go away, or at some point is Bill Zito the the new GM in Florida? Is he still keeping his eyes open and you know testing waters in case? And and the reason I ask this is that as we're chatting here, Matt Grislyk in Boston. Uh, unknown injury, the status of his uh, ability to to you know. Uh, be in the Bruins lineup. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just because, and I know, I think you've noted this that there might have been a, an interest from the Boston Bruins at one point. And anyway, I'm just curious how you have seen this whole Keith Yandel thing unfold because it 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 has done an about face in a short period of time. 
Well, there was definitely a conversation between the Bruins and the Panthers during the holidays when, you know, Yandel was made aware of what was going to be a difficult camp for him. But as far as I can tell, it hasn't gone further than that, uh, you know, and but maybe that changes, as, as you point out. Um, it, it, it is, it's incredible how that story changed. I mean, I don't know that Bill Zito, the GM, could have been any clearer in his interview with me last uh, was it last Thursday? Last Thursday when we chatted about you know the meritocracy and and what the, the way they're trying to change the culture in South Florida. And by the way, I think they still they clearly still believe that between him and Joel Quenneville. But you know, I think as they got closer to the season opener, this is at least you know what I'm hearing, and they tried all these different looks on their power play, and this, I, like I think Joel Quenneville was just like, you know what, we, we need this guy. So they definitely went from deciding that he was going to be scratched and his Iron Man streak was going to end to, you know, we need to, we need him on the power play and, you know, good for Keith Yandel for, you know, taking advantage of what looked like a, a, a no go. And, and now he's trying to force his way to, to be, to remaining a regular. Now, having said all that, you know, I don't think that was all a wasted exercise during camp that it was clear that that the messaging and all that, because there may be a time where Joel Quenville decides, you know, maybe one too many defensive mistakes one night, or if the team is slumping, that if he does scratch Keith Yannel, I think it'll be not as big a deal as it would have been otherwise because of the Ironman streak. You know what I mean? Like, like some of the work has been done in terms of planting the seed that this could happen at some point this year. Right. But for now, I mean, how can you take them out? Yeah. Over under on Keith Yandel points, 75. What do you think? <laughs> You're not even answering In the me. first half? In the first uh, half? There you go. <laughs> well, they played 56 games. I don't know. Gets well, 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 the Panthers are just hoping to play games. The Panthers are just hoping to play <laughs> games at this point. No kidding. No kidding. Anyway, good start for them. And actually, it was, you know, as, as we speak, Sergei Bavrovsky, it, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but uh, uh, got his first win of the season. Such a critical part of that Panther team. And uh, yeah, I, I, I listen, that Panther team, a lot of interesting parts there. And Keith Yandel is just one of them. But boy, they if they can get it together, if Joel Quenville can, you know, work the Quenville magic, uh, that team, I keep waiting for them, but that team at some point, is going to they're going to be a handful, and who knows whether it's a season or not. All right, my friend, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Joe Pavelski of the Dallas Stars. Looking forward to catching up to Joe. We talked; he and I talked a little bit. Mm. We catch up during the bubble, so I'm looking forward to catching up with Joe Pavelski. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, my friends, uh, as promised, joined at this moment by Joe Pavelski of the Dallas Stars. Joe, thanks for coming to hang out with us. I don't know how weird it feels to you. It feels a bit weird 
just and I'm I will speak for Pierre here. You know, we've been waiting for a while for the Dallas Stars to make their appearance in the uh, 2020-21 season. What, what what's going on? How how's it feel to be just about ready to step back into live NHL action? Yeah, I mean, it feels good. It's I think I'm very similar to you guys, just waiting for action and. Uh, you know, watching these games the last few days, it's it's still a weird feeling knowing that Friday was a ways away when the season started and where we had that little pause. We'd practice for a few days and had the pause and then practice some more. It's just been a, a different kind of training camp. And, you know, when Friday hits, we're going to be a little bit behind schedule with teams already playing games. So it'll be a big test for us and we'll have to get up to speed in a hurry. Yeah, and we see now it's uh, COVID situation hitting the Carolina Hurricanes, Joe, and now their next couple of games have been postponed and the schedule is going to have to be redone. Just one of those seasons, such a unique year where everyone's going to sort of find a way to, to go with the flow. Um, but what, you know, what was it like for you personally? I know, you know, obviously a large number of the players, uh, you know, had it and I wonder if you could talk about that and what it's like to, to go through as a team. Yeah, I mean, I think coming into the season, you you had an understanding that something like this obviously is a real possibility, and you're gonna have to be flexible with it, and schedule might change. And I was sitting there when you saw that Carolina Nashville game get postponed, and first thoughts like, all right, did Nashville get or Carolina because we're supposed to play them, and we've already postponed four games, and right, if Nashville this uh, Friday start might not happen, but it looks like it might be the other way around there. Um, our situation, yeah, came up fast, and, um, you know, we're just kind of taking it day by day as it goes, and it's one of those situations you really can't, everyone's, you know, at this point seems to have experienced somebody or themselves with it, and, you know, nobody's off limits. It's it's such a unique situation in that sense, and for us, it's, it's every day, and it's you know, you look at it and what a good opportunity for if you're a young kid. They're, they're, you got to be ready. You got to practice like you're planning to get into the lineup at some point. And you never know when, you know, one guy's going to go down or two or three guys and you're going to have to play a role in the team. Yeah. Well, what was it like for you, though, Joe? And, and, and you know, starting, we go back to when you guys are getting ready to come into training camp and just, just what, what the experience was like for you. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I had it before um, camp got going, and not that there's a good time or a bad time or whatever. It's just it's when it happened uh, right around Christmas time, and you, you know, you just experience it. I, to be honest, I would have never known I would have had it. Uh, it was one of those cases that the only reason you really have an understanding is because you there's so much testing that goes on with the players. And you didn't really experience any symptoms, would have never guessed I had it. Still still kind of feel like it almost didn't happen. Um, But, you know, you just take that little bit of pause and you try to reset. And, you know, you definitely hear the stories of the way it's affected people and you, you hope, you know, nothing comes out of it because I don't know if you ever are fully out of the woods with it and, if something comes up, but you take your tests, your your echoes and your blood tests, and you know you hope it comes back clean and you get back training and try to catch up. Right, and you know one thing that I find that is, 
you know, that is disappointing from our industry point of view is we, we tend not to ask athletes how they're doing because we just assume they're so young and fit that, that it doesn't affect you guys like others. But, uh, you know, uh, it sounds like in your case you were asymptomatic. So I assume you're fine now. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel good. I'm excited for the season. And, you know, for the most part, everyone's been a little different, but there's been, you know, more asymptomatic than and then symptoms and everything going on. And, um, you know, you just take it day by day. And, and it's crazy how you monitor yourself, you know, every day. And I, it, when you have to go on that break and you have to sit sit down and quarantine, it's, you know, if you just do nothing for 10 days, that, that's, you know, hard enough to come back in. But then, <laughs> then you throw in some symptoms for guys and, you know, it becomes a little bit of a challenge, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Joe, we had uh, Rick Bonus on the podcast earlier. I want to say this summer, but I don't even know. I don't even know what month it was. It was, well, it was sometime after the Stanley Cup final, obviously, and before things got rolling again. But it was it was so great to talk to Rick. Uh, and it was right at the time that he'd uh, signed his extension um, and confirming what everyone had expected is that he was going to return as head coach of the Stars. And um, I, I wonder what your relationship with, is like with Rick and especially with the with the situation with training camp and not being able to be together in a sort of normal fashion, how important it is to have dialogue um, with that, with your leadership group and Rick and in trying to, you know, be able to get, get up and running in the most unusual of circumstances. Yeah. um, You know, our relationship's been really good and it's grown from the beginning of the year to the bubble to now. Uh, we, We definitely have a really good understanding of each other. Um, and then you, you know, it's a, uh, my first year in Dallas, first training camp, first everything was definitely a little different. And, you know, you spent 13 years in San Jose, you don't fully know what to expect. And it was pretty, pretty smooth for the most part. Would have liked to have a little bit more success coming out of the gates, but it, that is what it is. And I think we were better for it. And then you, you know, you flip in a couple of coaching changes and, um, you know, there's just a lot of character, a lot of commitment from the guys in there to make things work uh, as they went. And it was one of those cases, I think, this summer, you know, when we saw Bones was coming back, I think everyone was, was pretty excited, pretty happy for him. And, you know, he earned it. He, he brought brings a lot of passion, a lot of commitment to that team. And uh, the coaches, they deliver us a good game plan. And at the end of the day, you know, he, he's been around the league a lot. He's seen a lot of different systems, a lot of different scenarios, and he, he delivers a good message where, you know, this game, you don't have to overcomplicate it. It's a fairly simple game, but you got to, you know, you got to want to play and you got to want to compete. You got to want to do a lot of the hard things and, and the price to winning is, you know, not, it's not always easy. And that's a pretty straightforward message that, that he brings to that locker room and, it's nice coming into this kind of messed up camp and having him there and having, you know, some familiar situations going into it. You know, Joe, it's interesting. I don't want to say it, it, it's a lack of respect, but but despite the teams that you guys beat in the playoffs in the bubble to get to the Stanley Cup final, it's pretty overwhelming. And I'm not going to lie to you. I picked Colorado to, to win the cup this year, but, how, you know, how many votes Colorado and Vegas are getting? as sort of the teams. And I was almost going to say the West and I keep forgetting there is no West or East this year, but, <laughs> but, but teams, teams to beat, I guess. And, and, 
I don't know, as a group, like, do you guys feel, I don't want to say slighted, but that, that people are treating, you know, your trip to the cup final as, as, as just something that happened? Or do you feel like you've earned, you know, the respect around the league that, that your team obviously deserves? That's, I guess, not really for me to decide whether people respect <laughs> us or not. Um, I know we earned that trip there 100%. There was nothing. I don't think you could change my mind. I, I, those teams are incredible. They got a lot of good pieces to them. But with our game plans going in, it was, yeah, there probably weren't many people that really believed that we could get there. But that locker room that we had, I don't think there was really another feeling of we can't beat these teams. And we were fully, that was the way I kind of felt from day one. And there were ups and downs throughout the season, but there was a big time commitment from those groups. And I think a big time belief that we had a lot of really good pieces and could, could put it together at any given moment. And you really saw it when we had to focus and be together in that bubble and, wanted to play it was there wasn't a team we couldn't beat and now it always doesn't work out that way but um we got off to some good starts and you know there's no easy ride throughout the playoffs and you saw some of the teams you beat and some of the ups and downs being up 3-1 to game seven to you know late heroics and but that you look at any run that's that's how it works a lot yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about you, Joe, when, you know, at the end of game six on September 28th, and in some ways it, it feels like a million years ago. Um, but you, you've got, had that experience before being in San Jose, losing to Pittsburgh in the final in 16. And I wonder, as you were leaving the bubble at the end of September, whether it felt different to you, whether there was that, that sort of moment of, you know what, I, I can't wait to get back at this. Like, I can't wait to get back with this group and take another run at it. Or, or what was it like? Because there's obviously that was a completely unique situation, that whole bubble experience. And I wonder, you know, how what what it was like for you at the end of that. Yeah, I think the, the main experience that you, you take out, well, there's a lot of different experiences, I guess. But one is you... You somewhat feel for your fans and for your family to go on a run like that after experience one in San Jose, it, you know, that you just can't fully live the overtime moments, the the ups and downs of a playoff series, you know, a playoff run. You, you, you don't, you know, you felt a little bit unattached from your fan base. And, and when you came back home or, you know, Sarah, the family would be, you know, telling you how much excitement there is back here in Dallas. But you, you want to, you feel a little disconnected. And you wish you could give them a little bit more in person and experience it. And, you know, she's like, I, I don't know, are we going to watch you win a cup from the living room? Like, that's going to be kind <laughs> yeah. of a bummer right. in a ways, too. Right. Um, obviously, you take what you can get in whatever situation. But it was, yeah, when you leave game six, I mean, it, it was crushing. It, it was as emotional, if not more emotional, um, the second time around. And, you just have such a strong belief that you're going to win. And when you don't and it all comes crashing down, it's, it's hard. And so you digest some of it, you, you get back to work and absolutely hundred percent excited to get back. And we have an understanding. We can't let that run really, you know, define who we are. We have to get back, put in some work and try to get another opportunity to do it again and hopefully have a better result. But going into that series, it was a, you, you beat 
you know, Calgary beat Colorado, Vegas. <laughs> you, there was no doubt in my mind we couldn't beat Tampa, and never felt crazy overwhelmed by them. Um, but they were, I mean, they made some elite plays along the way, and their power play was dangerous, and you know, made us pay. You know, <laughs> just every time it, it was one of those things that we would. We stumbled a little bit, and they capitalized, and it was a good series. It was fun. Um, you, it's just hard. You don't know. It's it's no fun losing, that's for sure. I remember feeling like a bit of a schmuck after. Last time I talked to you, Joy, I wrote a story right on the eve of the cup final of how you were the predictors of all predictions because you had come down to Dallas and Tampa the summer before for where you are going to sign, and and uh, and I, I thought it was a great angle to a story because I said Joe Pavelski called it 13 months out or whatever. Um, and and but then obviously as the final played out, I was like, I wonder if Joe's going to be mad he did that story with me because Tampa won. But I, I don't think you're that kind of guy. Uh, but but it is it is interesting that that it, you know those were the teams you had talked to at the time. And one of the things I, I thought of you as, as your old pal Joe Thornton left San Jose because I, I didn't know that it was in the Constitution in San Jose that the Sharks were allowed to ice a team without someone named Joe in it, hmm. uh, or at yeah. least on their power play. <laughs> but there you are in Dallas, and, and their jumbo is in Toronto. What, what was your thought when you saw your old pal leave San Jose? Yeah, it was wild. I mean, you, you never fully believe it. I never fully believed I'd be leaving San Jose um, mm-hmm. until you know, that moment comes. And... I I talked to Jumbo, you know, a decent amount throughout it and gave him my experiences and my thoughts. And, um, you know, so I had an idea. It was a real possibility and a great opportunity for him. I mean, that's number one, like really good opportunity. And you can see the excitement. And, you know, I, I think he's going to bring a lot to that locker room and has already. And uh, just as – you know, pure joy for the game and the guys. It's, you know, it's it's fun to watch from afar because you've lived it and you've experienced it and you have an understanding of what's going on over there. But, yeah, it's, you never, I guess, fully believe until something happens, but definitely excited to, excited for him and, you know, everything that, that might come out of it. I'm just I was just curious because at one point it looked like Dallas might be in that West division and so you just spent a lot of time playing San Jose. I was going to say you might have spent a lot of time in San Jose, but of course not even the Sharks are spending time in San Jose right now. <laughs> right. But but uh the the fact that you get to uh, join a remodeled central division that includes Tampa. Like I don't know if you have relationships with any of the guys on the Lightning that you know, like when you found out you're going to be back in the same division and that, oh, not only did we play in the final, but we are going to go head to head eight times this season. That must, That's a little different dynamic, right? That usually doesn't happen. So I'm, I know from afar, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to. What happens in that Tampa-Dallas rivalry, given that you now are divisional foes? Yeah. I mean, going back to the beginning of that question, I thought, it would be fun to get out to San Jose, play those guys, you know, seven, eight times and just see the training staff, see, you know, a lot of the friendships that you have and, and run into those guys. Um, and then when things switch, it, it's it's wild to think. And you're like, wow, we're pretty much in the East Division right now. And I've never <laughs> played over there, you know, besides one or two games a year. And 
against those teams. So it'll be fun to see these teams and, uh, you know, on a nightly basis. And at the end of the day, a lot of our teams coming back, but you can't hang your hat on, you know, last year's still going. There's a new climb for this team and a, some some big opportunities for players to take another step and, and keep building. And um, teams are going to be a little different. And you got to, you know, you play a team seven, eight times. You got to you got to win a handful of games to, you know, create a little separation. So those games will be pretty intense, I think. What, have you have you talked to Rick or, or the coaching staff as one of the leaders on the team, Joe, that you guys are going to play now 56 games in, I don't know, was it going to be 100 and – Eight. 100, yeah, 108 days. Yeah. So you know, so you've done the math, right? I, I saw some clip on it, 56 games, 108 days or whatever right. it is. Um, I, I was curious how the, the cadence of the off days, you think, is going to be like. I mean, you, you know, you're going to want to, you know, recharge, right, through all this. I wonder how that's going to work out. It's going to be unique, that's for sure, because you always, you know, there's always a stretch for a month or two at the end of the season where you're playing 15 games in a month. You're mm-hmm. playing every other day, and now to jump right into that for 56 straight games, it's it'll definitely be interesting. I don't know how that'll work with rest time. Um, that's going to be monitored. I, I will would assume, and you know, so much practice that will have to be done mentally and in video, and you know, maybe one or two drills that you work on, and morning skate that you can talk about, but. It'll it'll be unique, and I'm sure they have a plan for it, and everyone will be monitoring, and we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, we'll let you go here in a second, Joe. But I was curious. You mentioned, you know, that that the the team is is very much the same as the one that went to the Stanley Cup final. But you've got a bunch of young guys that really, I think, pushed the envelope. Uh, last year and certainly in return to play. Are, are there a couple of guys that you're really looking forward to saying, okay, I, I wonder what's next for, you know, whether it's a uh, uh, Joel Kiviranto or uh, Rope Hints or are there a couple of guys you're like, okay, I can't wait to get back on the ice and see what, what this, what's next for this young player? Yeah, I, I mean, the, those players are good. Obviously, Kivy's going to get a good chance this year and you know, has earned it. And he was a guy when he came up in the regular season, I, I liked playing with. Um, maybe he didn't have the offensive output right away, but he, he's a guy who works. You know, he comes to the rink, you, you know what you're going to get. He's going to compete and he's hungry on pucks and he's got some good skills. And, uh, you know, Rope and uh, Dennis Garyanov, these guys are good. Miro, it's, you know, there, there's just, there's always, every year you're, you're trying to do something a little better or, you know, prove last year wasn't a fluke and you, you have to put the work in every year. So I'm excited for these guys to you know, have that opportunity to take another step and, and build off what they've been able to accomplish so far. And Joe, my last question, and, and this will be a better question to ask in three months, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I'll ask it anyway. Uh, the, the baseball type scheduling that is a feature this year of this very unique season, you know, going to cities and playing a couple of games in a row. Um, I know it's something actually that Jonathan Taze uh, wanted to see years ago, even pre-pandemic in a normal 82-game season to sort of um, alleviate some of the burden of the travel on players. And uh, interesting with you, you've gone from San Jose to Dallas. I think the two teams who in a normal year travel the most or have two of the 
most difficult owners uh, travel schedules in the NHL. But uh, are you curious to see what it's going to feel like to pop into a town and play two, three games? Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously not something you're used to. Yeah, I, I think when you look at travel and, and you look at you talk about playing games back to back nights, for me, it goes right to college. And, you know, if you play Friday night and you win, um, that team's on high alert the next night to try to get two points uh, right back from you. So it'll be interesting to see how teams handle those scenarios and how your team handles it. Um, as far as travel in San Jose and travel in Dallas, they are a couple of the teams that travel a lot Or as far as miles. I, I do believe. Dallas has been a lot easier, especially making the out east trip. You know, it's a couple hours versus four or five and um, making your way back home with the time changes. Mm-hmm. You didn't experience as many time changes in Dallas. And we found, you know, I found myself almost missing a couple of those three and four hour flights playing cars the whole time. <laughs> um, being around the guys, it was, you know, you're getting up in the air and you felt like you were landing right away, but it was definitely welcomed at the same time just the shorter flights and, but it, it'll be nice not bouncing around to three cities and, and, you know, when you play three games in four nights and three different buildings, it'll, it'll be kind of nice to play a couple and then move on. I'm looking forward to it. I, I do think, uh, you know, there is somewhat of a need for that and the travel burden. It was, this might be a, a nice easy fix, but we'll, we'll see. Cause when you get back to the regular schedule and you're playing every East team once, it's going to be kind of tougher that way. But, once you get right. additional games, you might be able to make that work. Yeah. Well, Joe, it's been great to catch up with you. I, I was thinking about you, though, when we were sort of looking around the NHL about, you know, which teams might have at least a a small percentage of fans in the buildings. And, and after your family had to watch from afar as you went to the Stanley Cup final, I, I must admit or I, I must assume that, that, that your family must be looking forward to seeing some Stars games at home and getting a chance to see what has there been some excitement in the in the Pavelski household about maybe actually getting down to the uh, American Airlines Center and, and, and seeing dad in person. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to have a few fans. I, I think we're one of three teams. It's like one of three or one of four teams in the league that are going to have fans. Yeah. So with where we're at with Nathan and, um, you know, how he understands the game and how much he's playing hockey, it's going to be able to, it's going to be fun to be able to have him come to the games. And <laughs> there's definitely different protocols that need to be followed now. And, you know, so yeah. it's not completely normal is show up and come to a game and, and sit where you want. Um, but they're definitely going to be able to come and we're excited for that. That's great. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for coming to hang out with us. It's been terrific, Joe, and and uh, stay safe. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Stay healthy, and, and we're looking forward to seeing the stars join the rest of the NHL in a couple of days. So yeah, good luck with wait. that, and thanks for coming up. to hang out. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Have a great year, man. All right, we'll talk to you again sometime. All right, Pierre. I, I, whenever I, uh, when I was watching the playoffs and, and as the stars began that sort of magical run to the, uh, the Stanley Cup final, I was thinking of an agent who 
said when Joe signed that three-year deal in Dallas, he said, listen, don't worry about, you know, what happens during the regular season. Doesn't matter if he scores no goals or five or whatever. You want Joe Pavelski in your lineup come Mm -hmm. playoff time. And it was so true, right? He had 19 points in 27 playoff games for the Stars. And was such a critical contributor. 13 goals in the playoffs. Yeah, Yeah. 13 goals, yeah. Absolutely pivotal moments. And, you know, and I think your question was a good one about the respect for the stars or their ability to get back to that level. Um, but to me, when you have a, a, a leader like a Joe Pavelski, um, that's a huge step forward right from the get-go. And so uh, I don't imagine that uh, that uh, urgency and motivation will be an issue for the Dallas Stars this season. Yeah, and, you know, I asked him the question about uh, Joe Thornton, and I, and I can't help but feel that, you know, it, it, you know, the Sharks may very well end up you know, turning their fortunes around and, and finally winning that cup at some point. But, you know, the the window of having Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton win one together, uh, that's gone. And and that's too bad. Those You know how often I went out there to cover that team come playoff time. And those two guys were unbelievable players. They still are. But part of some teams that, you know, only one team wins every year. And somehow that Sharks team went to one cup final, a bunch of conference finals and it, uh, it just brings back a lot of memories of uh, their performances there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, my friend, we're just about at the end of this edition of Two Man Advantage, the athletic hockey show. I've got a couple of uh, Twitter questions. I I like those. Uh, And um, there's one that we sort of circled around at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm just curious on on your take on this comes from I am Iron Kaniac. Uh, and of course, the Canes, as we noted, uh, we're not exactly sure when they'll be back on the ice. But the, the question was, has the NHL discussed what to do in the event of an outbreak? And if it becomes infeasible to reschedule so many affected games, are forfeits possible? Will games just be canceled in final standings determined by points? And I know we're a long way away from that, Pierre, but I, I wonder if that's, do we find ourselves as we did at the end of the pause where standings became mm-hmm. a points percentage. I know the NHL's really determined to have every team play the same number of games, but it, it, it would strike me that maybe that a lot of these things are on the table if, if things keep going this way. Yeah. So I asked that question specifically to a league official on the eve of the season. And the answer was that they don't like dealing in hypotheticals that they'll deal with yes. that 
possibility if it becomes real, but that when the season started, they were adamant about having every team play 56 games. I would suspect that what would happen is if we get later in the year and there's just been too many of these postponements and not enough windows to to jam some of the rescheduled games in, the only thing I can think of is that they would go by points percentage uh, to figure out the standings in each division. Yeah. It's the only way to do yeah. it. And it's imperfect yes. for sure, but <laughs> so is the world we're living in right now. So, uh, but I suspect that's what would happen, but they're not ready to confirm that or, or even want to talk about that. I don't think at this stage, because they feel there's still some, remember, you know, they have that extra week after the regular season that they didn't publicize too much, but that they've confirmed to us that, they're willing to delay the playoffs a week, right? To, to have a bunch of makeup games after the regular season right now ends. So, um, so keep that in mind. Yeah. And actually not, not to go too far down the rabbit hole on this, but, and you continue to hear some of the rumblings about the Tokyo summer Olympics and, mm -hmm. you know, is there a possibility that the summer Olympics are, are either delayed or canceled? And that certainly, I, and listen, the NHL wants to get back to regular. I, I don't even think delay is on the table, right? Like, then. Yeah, I think it's either yeah, canceled. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I was just, reading the New York Times piece over the weekend. It sounds like it's either happening or not now at this point. Yeah. 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 Okay, Pierre, one more quick one here. This is from Dupes, D O U P S. Uh, and this question is uh, Is Marc Andre Fleury going to Buffalo? And it's an interesting question given that. Uh, you know, the Sabres are one of those teams that it really is, uh, they're really, you know, sort of having to come to grips with their own goaltending depth. And I know Carter Hutton was, uh, suffered an injury in their loss to Philadelphia on Tuesday evening. But uh, uh, interesting to speculate or to look ahead to uh, what happens with Marc-Andre Fleury, who, of course, remains with the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, so I haven't been able to confirm this 100%, but my understanding is that the you know, the Golden Knights have told Mark andre Fleury he's not going anywhere. And that, you know, who knows what to make of all the trade chatter that we heard in October. Um, now, again, I guess that could change. Uh, but remember one thing, as long as Mark andre Fleury's happy for the moment, mm -hmm. he's got, you know, he's got a lot of no trade protection. So he, he's really, you know, him and his agent, Alan Walsh, uh, have a lot of power over how this plays out. So for now, it doesn't seem to me like there's a play there. But, you know, ask me in a month. Yeah, no, that's kidding. And listen, if there's one thing that we're seeing early on, and, and you and I talked about this, goaltending depth is going to be so critical. And listen, mm -hmm. that, Ve that Vegas team is, they're legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. I, you know, unless something dramatic happens, hard to imagine uh, that Kelly McCrimmon is, is going to tamper with that. So. All right, my friend, it is just about time to bid adieu to you and you and you. You know, that's from The Sound of Music, right? Like, we watch that every Christmas, so I thought I'd throw that in there. Do you watch that in the house? Do you, are, are you guys? Uh, no, no. We're more like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas <laughs> Vacation type family. <laughs> yeah, that comes as no surprise. Why are we talking Christmas, man? Like, that's, that's, that's like, in, it's in like I just it's in 11 months. I just tell that. Okay. That comes from that comes from the sound of music. Diet. Anyway, it is time just about to say goodbye for this week on Two Man Advantage and the Athletic Hockey Show. But lots of uh, podcast activity around the athletic universe, and of course our good pal Ian Mendez. 
Haley Salvi and Sean McIndoe have the Athletic Hockey Show. They record Monday and Thursday. That's a good bookend to the two-man advantage. Um, so you should give them a listen. Billy Guerin, who was busy. We didn't even talk about it, Pierre, but uh, uh, interesting trade is uh, Bill Guerin acquires former Pittsburgh Penguin Ian Cole uh, from Colorado in exchange for Greg Pattern. It wasn't that like, interesting. Uh, yeah, no, it was kind of interesting because I think Ian Cole's a guy. <laughs> they're both kidding. UFAs. Ah, look at anyway. Anyway, he's going to join Mike Russo on Straight from the Source at the Athletic this week, and you should always check out our comments section for each two man advantage podcast episode at the Athletic app, and rate and subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber. Go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. That's a bargain in any country, any currency, my friend. That That's all I have to say about that. But uh, go and do that. And, Pierre, next week we'll do this all again. And you were very good today. Thank you very much. You brought your A game, my friend. You were all right. <laughs> I was just trying to make Scotty laugh. <laughs>